second break. Um, just enough to grab a donut, and uh, we'll continue on uh, with a new sermon series that I don't even know the title of. Greater. Ooh. You will see greater thing. Yeah, I just delete that text from him. Uh, it comes up as Pastor Jason. I'm like, anyway, we'll be right back. Thank you, everybody.
Please, we'll go ahead and get started, please. So many things this week to be praying about. Uh, if you'll remember also, just to keep in your prayers, Dodie, uh, she has surgery tomorrow, right? Uh, Dodie has surgery tomorrow, so if you keep her in your prayers as well, that would be great. Uh, you know, last week, as before church started, um, Linda Dunphy and, well, uh, actually, Buddy came in and was doing the same thing too, which we're going to get him to do a testimony some point also. He's shaking his head no, but at some point I'll have him get up here and do one. Or maybe he'll write it down and I'll give it for you. How's that? Okay. He could do it. <laughs> Says your wife. Sorry, I just got you in trouble, you know. <laughs> but uh, some amazing testimonies of things that have happened. Uh, Buddy and Amy obviously have an amazing testimony about how God has spared them through the hurricane and uh, what happened during that time. So if you get a chance, you can uh, check with them, and they'll give it. But I'm sure, uh, according to Amy, we'll get Buddy up here soon too to do that uh, as well. But then also last week, uh, Linda came up to me and was talking about just this testimony of something that happened to her in the past two weeks. And it was an amazing story and just an amazing testimony. And I asked her, I said, could you come and give that testimony to the rest of the church so they could hear it as well? So I'm going to ask with... Uh, I can get this microphone working uh, without any further ado. Maybe. How come it's blinking blue? Does that mean anything? It does. Do I have to hold it down? I just push once, right? It should come on. You tell me. Ah, I didn't hold it long enough. Okay, sorry. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for the sound, guys. Always keep me in check, right? <laughs> Linda, come on up. I'll have you, if you want to stand right there, that's fine. Then you don't have to come all the way up. Here's the microphone. All right, I didn't do any notes, and as most of you guys know, I'm probably going to forget a few things. <clears throat> but two weeks ago, I got a phone call that said Michael had been, my son Michael, uh, had been in a very bad accident that a, a 16-year-old boy fell asleep at the wheel and came over and hit him head-on. On, and He was going about 50 miles an hour, 55 miles an hour. So it, it was pretty bad. So I got to the hospital right away. And um, he's really, he's got a big hematoma, and he broke some ribs. And he wasn't in real good shape. But the blessing behind all of this was the fact that when they did um, a CAT scan of his entire body, they found an aneurysm on his heart. Now, people go, you just, you have no feeling when you have that, you know, and you just die. It just bursts and you die. But if they know you have it, they watch it, you know, every six months, and that, you know, prolongs it a long time. They can put coils in, I think. So it was a blessing that he had that accident for as awful as he felt, and he ended up after that with gout, which he couldn't even walk. He just started walking yesterday from all of this. So it, it was a blessing. But then the same day that he had his accident, he asked me if I would take his... He didn't ask me. I asked him. i got to say this right. If I could go ahead and take his truck home with me, because my daughter Kiara had drove out there, 
he didn't want to leave his truck in the parking lot for however long he was going to be in the hospital. So I drove it home, and I had uh, Michael's daughter, Donna, with me in the truck, and she said, Nani, drop me off at Kiara's work. They have the ice cream truck there today. And I'm like, oh, I just want to go home, you know, relax. But I dropped her off. And I, they were over there talking, and I started going out, and the rack and pinion steering went in his truck, and I hit a pole. Now, it, it, it could have happened when I was out on 14, and that would have been bad. Or it could have happened, held on a little bit longer, and Michael goes down 14, or 76 when he goes to work. So at 70 miles an hour, that wreck, and you have no control. I was turning, and the truck was not turning. It hit that pole. Did a slight amount of damage to the um, bumper, but it could have been a really bad collision had God, had God not been with me that day. I didn't like having to tell him I wrecked his truck. You know? <laughs> and he was real nice about it for a while, and then he got kind of mad about it. You know, that's my truck. How am I going to go to work? And that's about the voice he used. And Bill put the new one in, and he said that, and I saw everything inside of there was so worn, and there was a piece of the ring that had been sti- a big piece of that, the, this ring that had been out of where it belonged for a long time. There was very little good left. It was just a matter of time. It was just a matter of time. So I just, I just praise God for all that. And I don't even know why he's so good to me. Sometimes I feel like I just don't deserve what I get. Yeah. I just praise God. Yeah, that's awesome, Linda. Thank you so much. You know, sometimes we don't realize that even small things like racket opinion when they go bad is God really saving us and, and protecting us. And those are blessings. Thank you, Linda. Uh, your blessings of a, of a car accident that you have to go to the hospital, who would call that a blessing, right? But to find a medical issue uh, that can only be found if, unfortunately, if something tragic happens, right? Uh, and so that's, those are amazing. God works in mysterious ways, and we don't always understand that. And that's, that's just an amazing way that God protects us and cares for us. Well, we're going to continue on. Uh, we're going to start, actually, I should say, a new series of sermons uh, called Greater. Uh, the last four weeks, I've had a blast uh, uh, preaching with Pastor Chaz and Corey and being up here. And now I get to uh, be back up here. And um, uh, it was fun talking about family and about the church. Uh, but today we're going to talk about this word greater. In scripture, we find uh, many ways and many times when God actually uses this word greater, uh, or scripture uses the word greater, I should say. You know, we find different areas, uh, in Genesis, for example, he uses the word greater to say that the greater sun, the greater light was the sun, and the lesser was the moon. Uh, and there's this word greater. Greater means that when you look at something, there's something superior, something better, if you will. We always think about things in our lives and, and ask, oh, they could be greater, right? I wish something was better. I wish something was more advanced. As I was preparing, excuse me, as I was preparing for these sermons, I was thinking, uh, you know, this word greater. And what is greater in our life? Is it our faith? Or is it something else? 
See, we have an opportunity, each and every one of us, every day that when we wake up, we can make a choice of what is going to rule over our lives. What is greater in us, Scripture says, as Christians, is greater than what's in the world. And we're going to get to that verse here in a little in a little bit. But what we have to understand is that when we look at these verses, when we look at these stories, we have to decide, is God greater in us? Or is something else greater in us? John the Baptist is a perfect example. Jesus says to John the Baptist that there is no one greater than John the Baptist. He was the greatest evangelist that ever lived. Now this is Jesus saying that. Now take a moment just to let that run through your mind for a moment. The ultimate, the son of God, the man, the the God on earth come down to this place for us who's going to evangelize and save and heal hundreds and thousands of people says that there is no one greater than John the Baptist. Now, talking about a resume builder, right? (laughs) If John the Baptist had a resume, that would be top of the line for me, right? I'm putting that on my resume. But there's always something in our lives that take precedence. And what we have to be careful is we have to be careful to be, uh, that we understand that in our lives, there's going to be something that says, I want all of your attention. I want all of your energy. I want all of your, I want everything that you are, and you need to focus on me and focus on this issue. When you think about having kids, right? Kids are perfect for this. Little kids, they want all of your attention. Until they get to about 11, 10, 11 years old, then they're like, I don't want any of your attention, mom and dad. I want you to leave me alone, right? But the reality of it is that we need to give them our attention because they want our attention. They need our help. They need us to be there beside them. This word greater is often shown in our actions versus what we really say. Many times I laugh when people say, oh, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Well, I'm sorry, that's a big statement for little things, right? Now, if you're getting married and saying this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me, maybe that's okay, right? That could be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. If you go and you ride to... Oh, wait, wait, I... I, uh, Oh, Brett, I'll just leave that one alone, Brett, okay? (laughs) But some people say, you know, going on vacation was the greatest thing that ever happened to me, or this was the greatest thing. We use that word greatest a lot. And we have to understand that in reality, what God wants from us, he wants us to understand that he deserves to be greater in our lives than anything else. He needs to be at the top of everything in us. For our faith and for everything that we have to work correctly, God has to be on the throne of our lives. He has to be number one, and nothing else needs to be in front of him. That's called idolatry. When we place something above God, when we place something more important than God in our lives above him, that's what's called idolatry. And the last time I looked, that's in the Ten Commandments. And so we need to understand that we have to not put anything before God. We have to not put anything above Him. He has to be number one in our lives. He has to be the greatest. He has to be greater than anything else that's in your life. I love this word uh, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You know, today we look at, today we're going to be looking at what is greater, sin or faith. You know, I, I asked this question to you, and, and maybe the very first answer is, oh, that's an easy answer. Faith is, is greater in my life, Pastor. What do you mean? That's not, that's not even a question to ask, right? But faced with reality of life or death, what would be greatest in your life? Anyone here of Dietrich Bonhoeffer before? 
If you haven't, he's an amazing uh, historian. Uh, you need to go back and you need to read the story. He was a pastor that was raised up in Germany, and he was there in Germany during World War II when the Nazis began to take over the country. And he was struggling because he was German-born, meaning that he was able to be in Germany and do all of these things. However, the Nazis wanted to control the church as well as controlling everything else. Dietrich Bonhoeffer looked at what was going on and was so moved and so upset about everything that was going on, he couldn't figure out how to fathom, how he could balance what was going on. But he knew if his faith was greater inside of him, he had to do something about this. He could not, could not just be silent, if you will. Dietrich Bonhoeffer actually came to the United States during World War II. He had an opportunity to stay in the United States. He had an opportunity to stay here. He was able to leave Germany freely because, again, he was, uh, he was of German descent. And so he came to the United States and he spent some time here. But while he was here, he began to get to this place in his mind. And he came up with this quote that I think is an amazing quote. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. It's amazing quotes that he says. And what he did was he decided at that very moment that he was going back to Germany. He went to Germany, and while he was there, he gave his life to turn the tides against the Nazi. In fact, he joined, uh, and some questionable, uh, some people question this, but he joined a very unique group in, in uh, Germany that was tied to killing uh, Adolf Hitler. That's what they wanted to do. That was, their, that was their sole cause. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer joined that group to do this. Now, this is a pastor who had no reason for doing this. He could have been safe. He could have lived in Germany all of his life. But instead, he joined this group because he knew that being silence was evil itself. Bonhoeffer's faith is more important to him than his own life. He gave everything. He could have, again, just stayed in the United States, but instead his faith was so important to him in driving him to be part of this that he went back to Germany to do these things. Now, you have to understand that Germany at that time was not dealing well with dissension, right? If you were against the Nazis, you were evil. And so what happened is that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was actually arrested because of he was speaking out against the Nazis. He was speaking out against Adolf Hitler. And so he was arrested and he was thrown into a concentration camp with many Jewish brothers and sisters of his. Now, he wasn't Jewish. He was German. Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived in a, in a concentration camp for almost a year before he was tried and, and uh, proven to be guilty of trying to uh, take the life of Adolf Hitler. And two months before, Nazi, before the Nazi Germans uh, gave up, or uh, what's that word I'm thinking of? Surrendered, thank you. I like the idea of giving up better than surrendering, right? But before they surrendered, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hung for his faith. Two months before German, Germany surrendered. You want to talk about someone who put their faith before everything that was going on. This was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's faith was greater than anything else. He didn't care about his own life. He didn't care about the Nazis. He didn't care about being punished. He didn't care about all of those things. He was only allowing his faith to grow inside of him. My question to us today, even before we get started, even before we jump into the verses that we're going to read here in a moment, is where is your faith? 
Is it number one in your life? If something very similar to what happened to Dietrich Bonhoeffer erupted in our country here, where would your faith stand? Would you be one who could give your life willingly? You would fight against the cause of what's good and stand up for what is right? Is your faith so strong inside of you? Or at the first scene of trouble, would you turn? I love the story. Uh, we're not going to get into it today, but you know, Peter obviously stands up to the, the, uh, the generals and the, the Roman soldiers and the Jewish uh, people who came to arrest Jesus. Peter stands up and he, they believe it's Peter, pulled out his sword and cut the ears, or the ear, I should say, of a Roman soldier. And Jesus tells him to put his, his sword away. Peter had told Jesus that he was going to live for him and that he would do anything. He would die for him if he had to. Peter had all of these wonderful quotes about living for Christ, but we all know what happened to Peter, right? Peter denied Christ three times before the rooster crow that night. Why? Because when the trouble, you know, there's an old saying, when something hits the fan, right? You know, well, when the trouble hit the fan for Peter, what did he do? He caved, unfortunately, so the question to all of us, this is an interesting question that we have, to, we have to grab a hold of and we have to understand is what is so greater inside of our life that keeps us from following our faith? If you want to turn to, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, we're going to be reading in verses 5 through 10. These are different stories of greater things and people who had greater, uh, some had greater faith, some had greater sin inside their life. We're going to look at this story. Let's read together and then we'll pray and begin. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terrible, terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority for sol- with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and, it, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Some other translations, I believe also the New King James says greater faith. And so what we understand here is this story is an amazing story of great faith. Now we're going to get into this story. Let's pause and pray and then we'll jump into here and tell you why that's such a great faith. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you have done. Lord, we pray today that our hearts could be could be right, could be focused on you, that our mind, our heart, everything inside of us would point to you and we would make you the greatest of all in our lives, Father. Today, Lord, we just want to begin to look at this verse and what it means and ask the question, what is greatest inside of us, Father? Is it our faith for you? Is it you? Are you greater than anything else that's inside of us or have we allowed other things to creep into us to be more, more great, more greater than you, Father? Help us today, Lord, to focus on you. Help us to hear from you, to know you. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, I ask you that you just come and enlighten to us, open our ears and our eyes, and keep us uh, from stumbling or being uh, persuaded otherwise to hear anything else but the true words that you have to speak to us today. Lord, I pray that my words would not be my own, but they would truly be your words that you would help us to understand today. 
Bless us this day and every day, Father. We ask you these things in Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen. Now we see that this soldier, if you will, this uh, this Roman soldier, this Roman centurion. Now being a centurion means that you are of leadership. You have some type of leadership role. You are greater than just a normal soldier. There's a couple things that we have to understand when we look at this. Jesus has marveled at his faith. This Roman centurion, by the way, is not necessarily Jewish. And in fact, if he was Jewish, it was, it's probably just a side note because he's a Roman soldier. He's a Roman. He has given his life to the Romans to do everything that he can. Now understand that when you give your life to the Romans, what happens is that you are called to be a Roman soldier first. Nothing else other than Caesar is the most important thing to you. And so that meant that you were probably caused to go out and do things that you weren't supposed to do, that normally you wouldn't do, but a Roman soldier took advantage of his position and his power, and especially a centurion, to do things that others would not do. Very few Roman soldiers, very few, and and in fact, I, I I I can't make this case because we don't know other than what Scripture tells us, but very few centurions probably were followers of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that meant they had to have something in their life that was greater than Caesar. They made a commitment to Caesar to say, I'm going to give my life everything as this Roman Empire Caesar. I'm going to give everything I have to him. And then on top of it, when Caesar tells them or his directions come down to them to persecute Christians, guess what they have to do? They have to persecute Christians. And so not their faith wouldn't be the greatest in them. The Roman, their Roman citizenship, their Roman uh, job would be more important than anything else. And if not, they were killed. It was very simple. History shows us many centurions that did not follow Caesar's law, and what happened is that they were killed. And many of them brutally, shown as, a, as an example to others not to disobey the Roman faith, or the Roman beliefs, the Roman government, if you will. And so what is it about the centurion that Jesus marveled at his faith? Well, some of this is we have actually uh, talked about already, but you know, very first we have to understand is that this Roman centurion didn't care about the cost of following Jesus. His very first question was, if I come to Jesus, what do I have to give up? He knew exactly what he had to give up. He had to give up his life. He had to give up his beliefs. He had to give up everything that he was because when put on the scale and knowing whether you follow Caesar or follow Christ, he has to make a choice. That choice is, do I follow the government or do I follow Christ? Do I follow my job and my well-being and all of the money and everything that I have? Do I put that on the line and do I follow Christ or do I follow those things? He had to make that choice. He didn't care about the costs. Do you notice that when he talks and he comes to Jesus to ask this question, he's not asking Jesus for one of his family members to be healed. He's asking for a servant to be healed. Now, oftentimes servants do become part of the family and do become like family members, but it's not as important. Listen, if you have someone working for you, they're not, as on a, they're not necessarily on the same level as a brother, a sister, a wife, a, a child right? But this man did not care about the cost. He didn't care about what was going on. He was just literally instead going after Christ with everything that he had. And he was willing to lay it on the line. 
The simple fact that he came to Jesus to ask for the Lord to do something to his servant, to heal his servant, meant that he had already made that choice in his mind what was most important to him. And what was most important to him was not the cost of following the Roman Empire. It was the cost. It was the, the not the cost, the, the benefit of following Jesus Christ. In addition to that, he, he knew the value of Jesus. He knew the very value of Jesus and what Jesus had for him and the cost. He knew that Jesus was the only one that could heal his servant. That value overweighed everything else in his life. So not only did he not care about the cost of losing his job and losing his life, possibly for following Christ, but he also knew the value of who Jesus was because in his mind, he weighed the two and the Roman Empire became so short of what it could provide. But Christ could provide so much more to him. It became the greatest thing inside of him. It wasn't money, it wasn't prestige, it wasn't power, it wasn't all of those things. What was most important to him was following Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ could do for him. And that was healing this, his servants. See, I believe the great mark of faith, the, the, the faith that we talk about, is more than just See, we often think about this. We don't. I, I think oftentimes, you know, I, I, I laugh because someone says, I can't come to Christ because that means I have to give up this and whatever this is. And, I, and I, I just sat there and I fathom myself, how important is this, whatever this is in their life, that they're not willing to give that up to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But then, you know, that's easy to say for someone who doesn't know Christ, but for all of us who have followed Jesus Christ, who have been and are Christians, I often see that also. How many times do we let go of what our faith in Christ is because something else has come in? How many times do we sacrifice our faith for the world? We give up what we're doing for our faith to do what's over here because this has become more important. And now I'm talking, now listen, before you... I am, honestly, there's nothing in our lives that's more important than our faith. Nothing. And I mean kids, I mean wives, I mean everything. There's nothing. Money, kids, wife, you name it, husbands, you name it, down the, down the list. Your job, nothing is more important than your faith. That needs to be the greatest thing inside of us. It needs to be number one of our life. It has to be everything that we are. There is no room for us to balance between, oh, this is important, but so is God, so I'm going to balance the two. No, there isn't. God has to be number one on your list. He has to be number one. He has to be number one on the throne of your life. He has to be the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. And if he's not, then you're having your priorities mixed up. And I can say as a pastor, I can be very honest as stand up here, and you may not like me saying it, but you're wrong. If there's anything else in your life that's not as important as your faith, you're wrong. There should be nothing that takes you away from your faith. There should be nothing that causes you to even think about sacrificing your faith for something else. Everything you do falls secondary to who you are in Jesus Christ. No one in this room today has been asked to give up anything to worship today. You came freely on your own accord. Maybe the only thing you asked to give up was a little sleep, right? Because <laughs> you could have slept in. Man, I slept so good last night, I could have slept forever this morning, really, honestly. But the truth of the matter is, is that we have not been asked to give up anything. We haven't. Here in this country, we are very blessed because we choose to come to worship. 
We, could, we, we get this choice and say, I get to choose to follow Jesus Christ. It's an amazing blessing that God has given to us. But it's also, have you realized, I mean, look around, not only this church, but look around at every other church. There's a lot of people choosing not to come to church. They're choosing not to follow their faith. They're choosing to do anything and everything beyond that. To sleep in, to, to go to, uh, I mean, football games and, and all of these things that happen on Sundays, right? I know, I know. There's going to be a Browns game soon, right? But there's so many things. We put all of our energy and effort into these things. But when it comes to our faith, we sometimes are willing to just sacrifice our faith, sacrifice what would be serving God for anything else. Why? I don't know why. To me, it's unfathomable. But for us, somehow we get distant from our, our relationship with Jesus, our faith, and then everything else becomes more important to us. Our jobs become more important. Our kids become more important. These things that we need in life that we think we need become more important. What we have to do is we have to stop and say, I know the cost of following Jesus. See, that's an interesting thing for us here in America because here in, here in America, there really isn't a cost, as I said. I go to China, go to where persecution is really happening, and see where the churches are then. You come to, the, you come to church, you're a, there's a chance you're going to be killed for just coming to church. There's some places in Africa and, and in the Muslim world that if you come to a Christian church, you are very likely going to be followed. And if you're followed home, unfortunately what that means is that your whole family could die just because you chose to go to church that day. And I want to talk about putting on and not caring about the costs. What if that was happening here in the United States? Would you still come? You don't have to answer me. I would hope so. Because you know what? My faith is more important than my life. And that might be hard to say, but that's the truth. Given the chance to give my life up for my faith, I would do it in a heartbeat. Come, Lord Jesus, let's go. I'll spend eternity in heaven right now. Sure, absolutely. If that's, if that's what it costs me, I will do that. I remember a story, if you remember Cassie Bernal. Anyone remember that name, Cassie Bernal? She was a uh, Columbine student in Colorado. I met with her father, um, I don't know, about five or six years ago, and I said to him, I said, you know, your, your daughter is known for standing up at the sight of a gun and saying, I still believe in Jesus Christ. Those were the last things that she said to have said before she was killed for her faith. And I said to her father, I said, what caused her to have such a great faith? And he said, it wasn't me. Because <laughs> at the time, he wasn't really that great of a Christian, he said to me. And he wasn't following Christ as closely as even his daughter was. But he said, it was amazing to me because we, they have had conversation, they, had, they had, had had conversations previous to her giving her life where she said, if it came down to it, Dad, I would gladly give my life for my faith. This is a high school student. This is someone who had their whole entire life in front of them. Listen, as us older folks, I won't say old, but older folks, we have lived life. Right? We have lived life well. We have kids and we have grandkids and we have all of these things. We have done well for ourselves. And for us to give our life to Christ is not such a great stretch. Because why? Because we're older. We've lived life. It's okay. But for a young high school student who had her whole entire life before us, she didn't worry about the cost. Matthew chapter 19 
shows another greater that happened to someone. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Otherwise, it'll be behind me. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. I, I want to pause there just for a moment. I love, I, I, I know I shouldn't say this, but I love the return that Jesus does sometimes. You know, just these blunt, I almost see humor in these things. Why do you ask me what is good? Right? He's asking this question to a man who came up, this, this young rich man comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to have eternal life? Ask him what is good, and Jesus responds, why do you ask me what is good? He's asking that, but if you just pause, I mean, I I didn't intend to pause here, but I want to for a moment, because this is something important. If you just pause here for a moment, this is, this, this is the, I, I don't even need to preach. Let's just read this right here, right? Because by what Jesus is responding to this young man, he is actually preaching and should be preaching to all of us. When you read this in scripture and you see when Jesus says, why do you ask me what is good? If you come to someone and say, what is good, right? You don't go to someone who works at Burger King and says, what's good on the menu, right? Maybe you do, I don't know. But if you do, I'm sorry, you need to step up on your scale of what's good in a restaurant, right? When you go to a really fancy restaurant where you've never ate there before and you never had any of this food, of course you're going to ask the waitress maybe, what is good? Why? Because she knows what is good. You wouldn't ask someone who is in jail, who is bankrupt, who has killed five or six people, hey dude, what's good? Why? It makes no sense. They can't tell you what is good. Now, would you go to someone who is successful? Who, would you go to someone who, has, uh, who you know, owns a business, is successful, works a good life, does all of these things? Would you ask them what is good? I, listen, I, when I needed new tires for my truck, guess, guess where I went? I went to him. I asked him, what's good? Not asking me what's good, because I'm going to go look. Hey, that looks like a pretty cool set of tires. Let's get that, right? I'm going by looks. I'm not going by what's good. I'm asking someone who knows, someone who works on the machines that builds them, someone who has internal information, what is good. This young man, by asking Jesus what is good, he's giving, he's at least lifting Jesus up. He's at least saying, I know the position of who you are and why I'm asking, I'm coming to you asking this question. But Jesus is going, why do you ask me what is good? The young man thought he was going to get an answer from God, but in, or from Jesus, but instead he goes, why do you ask me what is good? Why? Because what the young man couldn't do, he couldn't be good. Let's move on, and I'll explain that in a moment. Verse 18 says, he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are commandments that God is giving and telling and reminding the young man that these are the commandments that he was given. The young man is being told by Jesus that he has to follow the commandments. Keep the commandments. And then verse 20, the young man said to him, all of these I have kept, what do I still lack? The young man is dealing with an issue because somehow he knows he's not fully where he needs to be. Somehow he knows that he's not doing enough. Because he has kept all the commandments. The young man said, all of these I have kept. He's been a good young man. 
religious man, following all the commandments, doing everything that he has, but for some reason, he's still not feeling up to par. He's still not feeling like he's on the same level that Jesus wants him to be. And so he says, what do I still lack? Isn't it interesting? This is a rich young man who follows all of the commandments. The world around us would say, that man has it going on. That man knows exactly what he's doing. That man should be the one who is revered and lifted up. But for some reason inside, he's lacking. He doesn't have what he wants. So Jesus says to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess. Give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And you know what happens? When the young man, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The young man couldn't walk away from his faith. He couldn't, he couldn't walk away from his riches, the things that were most important to him. He wanted to have great faith, He wanted to have nothing else in his life that was more important to him than Christ. Yet he couldn't do it because of the riches that he had. He couldn't sell his possessions and move forward. So we have to ask this question, what kept this rich young man from having great faith? He placed things in front of his faith. The riches that he had was more important to him than his faith. The riches that he had was more important than Jesus and following Jesus. The values of his possession were greater than anything that he, could, that he thought he could find in his faith. See, the problem with us today is that I think in America is that we rely too much on our own money. We can buy ourselves out of anything, right? Pretty much. If we need a new car, well, we can get a loan for that. If I don't have the cash for something else, I'll put it on a credit card and I'll balance that. We continue to do those things and we continue to do all those things. Our possessions keep us from knowing who Christ really is in our lives. I often, someone often asks me, why, why can't I see miracles in my life? And one of the, sometimes I answer the question and it's not a way that I think people like to hear, but I said, are you willing to give up something in your life to see a miracle? Sometimes we have to, some of the greatest miracles I've ever heard that have happened have happened in third world countries where they have absolutely nothing. Why? Because there's nothing that stands in front of them. There's nothing that can pull them away from this faith. They have to either have faith in Jesus Christ or faith in nothing. And so they're faced with this opportunity that if I don't believe that Christ is going to solve or bring an issue for me, then nothing else will. They're put at the bottom of the barrel, so to speak. Some of the greatest faith that we see in humans today, in this world today, are those that find themselves at the bottom of the barrel of addiction. Why? Because they're such at the bottom of the, their life has been destroyed because of this addiction. They have nothing. And what do they have to do? They have to look up and there's only Jesus there waiting for them. See, the truth is that we often allow not just money, but the attitude of money to keep us from following Jesus. Sometimes we place these things in front of them. It's our drive to, we, we have to work on Sundays because we need to make more money. We, ha- we have to do this because we, it's more important to us. I, I'm going to just sacrifice my time at church. I'm not going to go to home group. I'm not going to do these things because I need to just make a little bit more money and I need to have this and I need to have that. It becomes all about money to us. And 
I love, I, I didn't put it up here, but Jesus' answer to the disciples were that it's harder for a rich man to go to heaven than it is a camel to go through the eye of a needle. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. Ever try to shove a camel through a needle? Good luck with that. I want to see it. I want to see someone try it. So if you start to try it, you go, you go to do it, call me up because I want to be there to see you do it. Too many people want great faith, but they're not willing to give up the things they need to have it. They're not willing to give up all of the life that they have. They're not willing to give up everything that they have to get the great faith. They, they talk about it. They want Jesus to meet them where they're at. And Jesus does meet us exactly where we're at. But he, that doesn't mean that he's just going to come and say, okay, if you have something greater in your life, I'm just going to play second fiddle. Jesus and God, does not play, our faith should never play second fiddle to anything else. They will not. If you want great faith, then you have to have great faith, meaning there's nothing else more important than that in your lives. The man, the rich young man, failed not just because of money, but because something else in his life held a greater position than God does for him. See, our question again is, what good or bad things have you placed before your faith? All of us in this room have allowed things to creep up into our lives and be more important than our faith. What is it? What do you have in your life that's more important? What can you identify what you have allowed? And here's one of the ways that I ask people to identify this all the time. If God stood before you right here, right now, and said, I want you to give this up, you would say, but Lord, I can't give that up. Is it your house? Is it your relationships? Is it your kids? Is it all of these things? If there's anything in your life that's more important to you than God himself, then you have placed the wrong priority on those things. I'm not saying that your kids and your wife or your husband are not important, because they are. They're, they're gifts that God gives to us. But they still, even our kids, can't be in, point, in front of our faith. Why? For two reasons. Number one is that God first saves you and wants to save your kids. But also secondary is, and, and, and this is a big secondary, this is a big point, what are you teaching your kids? What you allow something else to be more important to you than your faith. You're teaching your kids that it's okay to have something else more important than God in your life. And who wants to do that? I want my kids, I want my grandkids, I want everyone around me to see that my faith is the most important thing to me. And so I will do everything. I will give everything I have for my faith. Why? Because God wants to bless us and wants us to have him as priority in our life. You know, we have this for years, we've watched American Idol, right? <laughs> you ever watch that show, American Idol? Some of you haven't. I, I, I could have figured that Steve never watched that. But, uh, but there is, you know, they, they have the show where, of course, you know the, the context of the show. They're trying to find this great singer, right? Great performer. The question that I ask and the, the interesting thing that I say is that this is, to me, a prophetic statement on what's important in our earth, in our world today, right? American idol. What is the idol that American has? Well, how to ask ourselves that question? What are we making idols of? What? I heard, anyway, I brought this up because I heard on one of the shows one time they were asking, is there anything that's more important to you than winning this competition? And the, the lady, or I think it was a lady, says, no, there's nothing. I'd give up everything I own for this. And I sat back, and I, at first I thought, hmm, that's interesting. You know, she's really bought into this gift. She's really bought into being, excuse me, bought into being uh, the next American Idol winner. But then I started thinking, this is really sad. 
This isn't, we shouldn't be giving up everything we can to be the next great American idol singer. We should be giving up everything we have to be the next great American Christian. Right? The one who follows God. Is there anything in my life that I cannot do without? Anything in my life that is not God that I would be lost if I would lose it? Would I be sad if I lost my wife and kids? Absolutely. Would I be sad if I lost all of you, if I lost a church? Absolutely I would be. But it's not going to devastate me to the place where I die because my faith is most important. That means God has something for me in store. Now that may seem really, really... At first glance, when you say a statement like that, you're like, oh wait, should I really say that? But what I found is when my wife tells me that God is more important to her than I am, but I'm second to her, I'm okay with that. When I tell my wife that, she's okay with that. Why? Because we know that then we're being led by God to be the best husband and the best wife we can be for each other because he is number one in our lives and nothing else. we got to stop putting things in front of us. 1 John, we're going to end with this. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are good, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For you, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and they would li- the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is an amazing verse. Basically what he's saying is that he who is in us as Christians is greater than he who is in the world. So why would we ever listen to what the world makes important? Why would we ever care about money, prestige, power, all of the things that the world hawks on us and says this is the most important thing? We shouldn't care about any of those things. Do I say that money and and prestige and power and all those things are bad? No, but when we place God first in our life, he gives us all of those things. We don't need the world to tell, I don't need the world to tell me that I'm good because God already does. I don't need someone to come tickle my ears with nice, fancy words because I already hear what God says about me. Do I like it? Sure. I love it. I love someone to compliment you or compliment me or compliment... That's nice. Do I need it? No, I don't. Why? Because God has already given me those things. The world around us is going to use all that we have. Do you understand that Satan himself will use everything you give him to make himself greater in you than God. Satan Satan is in his own right trying to make him greatest inside of you. And so what is he going to do? He's going to do anything that you give to him. If you make your kids greatest in your life, guess what? He's going to use those things to make it greater, make your kids greater than God. If you give him your job, he's going to give he's going to make your job greater than God in your life. If he gives you if you give him your marriage, he's going to make your marriage greater. He's going to use whatever he can. He's sneaky, he's a liar, he's a theft, he's a deceiver of all things and he will use whatever he can to be greater in you than God. You have to understand that not only is the world around us his domain, but we are foreigners in this land. 
And so we have to tell ourselves every single day that I wake up, I need to tell my mind, I need to tell my heart, I need to tell my soul that God is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. And when I say that, when I wake up with those things on my mouth and those things on my mind, then all of the blessings that I go through in this life are amazing blessings. And I can thank God for those things. I'm not afraid of anyone in this room not loving Jesus. I'm not. I think any good person would love Jesus to understand what he did and the way he sacrificed his life. What I fear, though, is that sometimes we allow greater things in our life to become number one versus the love that we have for Jesus. Yes, our job is to evangelize. Yes, our job is to share Christ with all of those around us, and we need to be doing that with everything that we have. But what I'm, more, what I'm as concerned as sharing Christ is that are those that really gave their life to Christ making him number one priority in your life? Making him greater than everything else? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. When we make Jesus number one in our lives, when we make our faith number one and we give up all of those things and we say, my car, my money, my job, my life, all of those things aren't number one in my life. I don't care about those things. Those aren't as important to me. When we give those things up, what we do is what we are saying is that those aren't needed, but what's most important and what's most needed is my life in Jesus. Today you have a chance, you have an opportunity today. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you'll stand now please. What I want to ask you to do is, I want you to be honest with yourself. You know, I don't have to ask these things, I can come and ask you this, but I know that Jesus is already, and the Holy Spirit is already asking you this question. And what I want you to do is, as we sing this worship song, as we prepare to pray, what I want you to ask yourself is, what's most important in your life? Truly, what is the most important thing to you? That's amen. That's right. And he needs to be. Nothing else matters in this world except for him and what he did on the cross for you and I. But it's not until we make that decision that I'm not going to allow anything else to get in front of me. I'm not going to allow my health. I'm not going to allow my wealth. I'm not going to allow my life, my job, any of those things. I'm not going to allow those things to get in front of me. I'm going to stick with him. And he's going to be the most important thing in my life. It's not until we make that decision that we can live the way that he wants us to live, to have him greatest in our lives. Listen, you're not a bad person when we allow other things to become important in our life. You're not. It happens to all of us. It happens to me. I have to be reminded often. I have to tell myself, I have to physically tell myself that God is the most important thing and not get carried away with the church, not get carried away with money, not get carried away with life in general. It's easy to do. But God has to be number one. He has to be the base. He has to be the start of everything. He has to be the foundation of our lives. And outside of that, everything else can flow. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this amazing just journey that you have brought us on and this relationship that we can have with you, Father. You are by far the greatest thing that ever has happened to us. There's nothing greater in this world. You are the King of Kings, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Beside you, there is none. 
Above you, there is none. You are the greatest, Father. But we have allowed things in our lives to become important. We have allowed other things to sneak their way into that place of importance in our life. And so today, Lord, I'm praying and I'm asking you, come and help us to identify those things. Holy Spirit, move among us. And even now at this place, help us to identify those things in our life that are sneaking into that place of importance, that greater place that's inside of us. Lord, I pray that you would deal with us, that you would help us, that you would forgive us. And even now that we could begin to place those things at your feet, not just as a giving up of those things and placing you at, at, at number one, but as a sacrifice, as an offering to you that is pleasing in your sight. We take the things that were most important to us and we place them at your feet, Father. Forgive us of our sins. Romans 10 verse 9 says, that we confess with our mouth and we believe with our heart that Jesus is Lord, that we can have everlasting eternal life. What that means is that we have to confess that he is king, that he is number one, that he is the most important thing that has ever happened to us. So if you're here today, you've never given your life to Christ, just simply say, Lord, you are my king. You are my savior. You are the most important thing. I place you number one in my life. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. If you said those words before and you are a Christian, then will you just allow yourself to be clear and truthful with your own mind to say, I have allowed things to be placed in importance above him? And lay those things at his feet. Come to these altars and lay them there. Go to the cross and lift them up as you pray and ask the Lord to take them away from you. This is what causes him to be greatest in our lives. So Father, forgive us. Be number one in our lives. Help us to let go of those things so that you can be glorified. And we don't have to turn away sorrowful like the rich young man, but instead we can turn towards you and celebrate. We glorify you, Father. We honor you and we praise you. We ask you all of these things in your most precious and holy name. Amen and amen. Let's worship together. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. Great is your faithfulness, O God. You use the weak to raise the restless heart. You lead us by still waters into mercy And nothing can keep us apart So remember your people Remember your children Remember your promise, oh God your grace 
grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. Great is your love and justice, God of Jacob. You use the weak to meet the strong. You lead us in the song of your salvation. And all your people sing along. Your people remember your children, remember your promise, oh God. Your grace is enough, your grace is enough, your grace is enough for me. Heaven reaching down to us Your grace is enough for me For me Yes, is God's grace enough for you? Can you say amen? His grace is better than anything else that you could ever face. His grace and his love, he is the greatest thing that has ever happened to all of us in this room. Whether you know him or you do not know him, he's the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. May we leave this place today going forth into the world outside those doors to do what he has called us to do, to be and make him the greatest inside of us. It's only then will the world see how awesome he is. So let's go forth from this place, serving him and making him number one in our lives. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done. We look forward to serving you this week, Father. Send us into our places of mission work that you have given to us, the communities, the home, our jobs, the places that we will go to serve you and to be and make you the greatest that has ever happened and ever is in our lives, Father. We love you, Lord. We glorify you. We honor you. And we praise you now in Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen and amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you again next week.